0: are you guys ready for the word of god this morning the word of the lord (laughs) can i tell you that we are living in the most exciting season that the body of christ has ever had that we are so close to the return of jesus We are are seeing uh, so much of what is prophesied in the Bible roll out before our very eyes. And there is a great shaking taking place across the earth. That We are seeing the prophetic fulfillment of things um, that were prophesied in the Old Testament and the New Testament rolling out before our eyes. And I want to open this uh, message with this statement. That the prophecies of the Old Testament Um, find their fulfilment in the New Testament. And the prophecies of the New Testament, or a great proportion of the prophecies in the New Testament, find their fulfilment in you. You are all through the New Testament. The responsibility that God has given to the body of Christ is right throughout the New Testament of whom you are part. Amen? Amen. I haven't lost you have i church? church that that god has imparted something to us of incredible value um, that we are part of the rolling out of god's purpose throughout all the ages and so today um you know in, in our uh, life group studies we're at Acts 5 and 6 but I'm rolling us back to Acts 4 and we're going to something uh, that happened in the early church to do with boldness and I want you to see something about what it means for you not just for them 2,000 years ago but for you today here this morning 14th of February 2021 this is a now word amen so you may uh Recall that I think everybody knows this story that in towards the end of Acts 3 Peter and John go up the steps of the gate beautiful towards the temple and they encounter a man who is more than 40 years of age who has been lame from his mother's womb. He's got no—he's got nothing but atrophied muscles. His joints are deformed. There is no physical possibility that that man could ever walk again except the name of Jesus. And so there's that famous thing that Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walk and the whole place goes crazy. This is uh, at the entrance to the temple and the temple at the time of Christ held 50,000 people in the outer courts. So this was there was a huge commotion. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rulers of the temple, the high priests, all those guys were extremely angry because they thought that they had dealt with this guy, Jesus. We crucified him. We even made plans so that nobody could think that he been raised from the dead. We've been trying to stamp out this stupid little cult. We want to get rid of these guys. And all of a sudden this guy who's been lame from birth is miraculously healed in the very name of the person that they despise. And so in Acts four, just after the uproar caused by this incredible miracle, the priests, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees arrest John and Peter and throw them in the prison overnight. And the next day they decide they're going to hold a hearing to determine what they're going to do with them. And in Acts 4, we're starting at verse 5, the word says that it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. This is the hierarchy of religious leadership at that time. And when they had set them, that's Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well... Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. All I can say is preach it. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, in, a, in an atmosphere and in a setting where these guys have the authority to make accusations that will mean he is put, in, that he is put into prison forever or even put to death, he does not uh, shirt the task given to him by God. He stands before his accusers boldly and says, Well, actually, this is what happened. And there's the layman standing there whole. How are they going to refute something like that? So many of you have probably jumped ahead in this story a little bit because I've mentioned that this message is about boldness, or you saw it on the screen. Um, Many of you will be aware that this incident is followed by a prayer meeting where the church asks for boldness. The gathering of the ecclesia asks for boldness. But You can see from what has just happened, Peter and John are not lacking in this particular area one bit, right? So um, in Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marvelled and they realised that they had been with Jesus. They were what? Uneducated. They were what? Untrained. (laughs) And they realised that this thing had happened and that they spoke with such boldness and authority because of one thing, they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. You know, the modern church has had more teaching, more education, more training than any of the generations before it, but it doesn't walk in this sort of authority. Am I ruffling any feathers? For the most part, the modern church does not walk in the sort of authority and power that we see in the healing of a man born lame. We don't need to be tied any further into theological knots. What the church needs is the anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit to do signs, wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus so that the people we minister to understand there is a God. And so if you go down to verse 18 of Acts 4, you know, they're gathered together. They're confused about what they're going to do because it's very hard to refute a miracle standing in front of you. And it says that they called them and commanded them. So these religious leaders got Peter and John called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. They recognise something here, that it is the name of Jesus that has released this miracle. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard may our testimony never be silenced by opposition no matter where that opposition comes from these pharisees understood the power of declaration of the name of jesus that's why they silenced them don't you do this in the name of jesus anymore They recognize it because they know that Peter said to that lame man, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Walk. This is faith expressed. And it's not just expressed, but it says in that passage that as he expressed this in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, he actually reached out his hand to the lame man and raised him (laughs) to his feet. You have to put action to your words. You have to be prepared to step out in faith. If you pray for somebody who is sick, you must be doing so in the full expectation that God's going to heal them. And so this is where... So we move from this particular setting where they've been warned not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And now we're going to move into the corporate setting where Peter and John come back to the gathered church, the ecclesia of God, to tell them what's happened and for the church to consider what has to happen next. And so uh, going down to verse 23 of Acts 4 it says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said. Now, when we launch into this little passage of scripture, everybody I've ever heard preach on this passage has focused on that aspect of Lord, give us boldness. And that is a very important facet, and I'm not going to undermine that at all, but I want you to see the source of their boldness in the Word of God. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now listen to this who by the mouth of your servant David have said Why did the nation's rage and the people plot vain things the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. We're going to look at why that's what they say. We're going to look at why he's pulling something out of Psalm 2 to declare in prayer before the Lord. And I want you to, to consider this point, that at this point in the life of the early church, this takes place within the first year of after Pentecost. And in the first outpouring of Pentecost, there was 3,000 people, 3,000 men who were saved, plus women, plus children. Plus, as the miracles were being poured out, there were more and more being gathered. And the people um, who witnessed, the Bible says, the people who witnessed uh, the miracle of the lame man on the gate, on the steps of the gate, beautiful. Out of that miracle, another two thousand came in. And this is right after that. So there is a significant number of people in this meeting whose only experience of God has occurred within the previous 12 months. These guys are baby Christians. And even the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, those guys that they're... Forming as the leadership of this ecclesia, even those guys in total have had a relationship with Jesus of only four years. But I see a maturity and anointing and knowledge of the Word of God that puts us, for the most part, to shame. The only scripture they have is the Old Testament. Is that right? The New Testament has not been written yet. They've got the Old Testament. And yet they have a depth of revelation that we would do well to pursue. So when they pray, they are armed with the knowledge of God's prophetic intent. I want you to see this from what unfolds here the apostles have been scouring the word of god to find its fulfillment in jesus that's why they're quoting psalm 2 you'll understand this the fulfillment of the old testament prophecies is found in the new and there is an aspect of what we're about to read that applies to us that's something that's recorded here for our edification and for our build our raising up into the Sons and daughters of God, there's something in here that is specifically written for us, for you, here today. The scripture that they have begun to quote is Psalm 2, one of David's most famous messianic prophetic psalms. In decreeing this scripture, I want you to notice something because we're going to go between Acts 4 and and, uh, Psalm 2. We're going to go back and forth a little bit because I need you to see this. They say in Acts 4.25, as they quote the first couple of verses of Acts 2, I want you to notice that they put what David said as past tense. Watch this. uh, Acts 4.25, they say, Why did the nation's rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, past tense so far, yeah? And the rulers were gathered together, past tense again, amen? Against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, when I turn to Psalm 2 and I read what he is quoting, this is what it says. Why do the nations rage and the people plot of vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, in other words, now, present tense, and the rulers take counsel together, that's present tense, against the Lord and against his anointed. I want you to take a note of the difference. Please don't go to sleep on me, this is important. <laughs> the ecclesia in the book of Acts quote this part of Psalm 2 in the past tense because it's already been fulfilled. They say, why did the nations rage? Why did they plot these vain things? Why did the kings of the earth come together and take a stand and gather together against the Lord and against his Christ? And note here that the Lord is... Father God, and his anointed is Jesus. This goes on, if you go back to Psalm 2 and you move on to verse three, this is what the kings and the rulers plotted together against the Lord and his anointed. They say, let us break their bonds. Whose bonds? The Lord and his anointed. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But then it goes on to say, David says, this is God's response. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And then he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Are you guys following me? you tracking with where I'm going with this? The ecclesia in the book of Acts chapter 4 have quoted Psalm 2 before they start asking for boldness. And as they quote the first couple of verses, they put those verses in past tense because they know they've already been fulfilled. And what I'm reading now is an expansion of that concept. Because the holy hill of Zion upon which the king uh, was set is Jerusalem. And the king... Is Jesus the fulfillment of that scripture is Jesus he is the king on the holy hill of Zion all of Israel expected the Messiah to come and take the throne of Mount Zion Jerusalem they expected a physical kingdom to be restored and the Messiah did come but how different the cross looked to the throne that they expected him to sit on Instead of Jesus taking the physical throne of Israel, he took the cross for you and I. That's why we're here today. And by bearing that cross, he set an example for us. And the fulfillment of prophecy looked nothing like the expectations of those waiting for their Messiah. The kings and rulers who hated Jesus thought they had won. We're talking about principalities and powers here. We're not just talking about the physical realm and his physical enemies. We're talking about principalities and powers thinking we killed the anointed one. We killed the Messiah. It is over. It is done. (laughs) But God's word stood. Verse 6, Psalm 2, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion by taking the cross Jesus took his eternal crown. Now following this, as we continue in Psalm 2, is a decree. And this decree in Psalm 2 has been passed on to the church, the ecclesia of Jesus. This is why we're coming to why they're quoting Psalm 2. And this decree has yet to be completely fulfilled. Now just a reminder, it is the Lord, Father God, the God of all creation, God the Father, who said, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. When we go to the next verse in Psalm 2, it is Jesus speaking. Verse 7 I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me. This is Jesus the Messiah speaking prophetically through David in Psalm 2 about his intention. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. See how it says, it's capitalized, my and son are both capitalized. That's Jesus that's being spoken of. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you and here it is. Ask of me, And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I used to pray that prayer all the time because there was a season where my primary calling was as an evangelist. And I would pray it every morning. I didn't really understand what I was praying, but I knew it sounded good and I knew it was the will of God. But now I see this perspective and I see that the church in the book of Acts, these baby Christians, they understood it better than I did after 15, 20 years of being in the Lord. (laughs) We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come and equip us in his word so that we understand not just our identity but our mission. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. And so watch this perspective that the ecclesia, the the early church of that first year of the church had. They understood something that we need to get hold of. They understood that the ultimate fulfillment of verse eight, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. They understood that the ultimate fulfillment of that prophetic word is for us. It is our responsibility. Jesus reconciled the world to God. But it is the body of Christ who sees that reconciliation out to its completion. Because although Jesus paid the price for all of mankind's sin, the the reconciliation is only complete when it is received by faith. Is that right? So you're not reconciled to God if nobody's preached the gospel to you. You are dead in your sins, the Bible says. Is that right? Somebody comes and preaches the gospel to you, and by faith you receive what Jesus has done for you. And when Jesus gave us the great commission, he said, I'm sending you to the four corners of the globe with this beautiful news and the ends of the earth will hear and respond to the good news. Jesus commissioned us to take that gospel to the four corners of the globe so that it can be received by faith by those who hear our words and only then he will return. That's Bible 101. Jesus is not coming back until the gospel has reached the four corners of the globe and he's not going there to preach it. We are with him in us. This must be our perspective. As the Messiah declared that decree, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. That's our decree. God, I'm asking of you. And just as it was for them in the book of Acts, so it is for us. It's gonna take boldness. It's gonna take stepping out of your comfort zone it's going to take stepping over the chicken line. On this side, on this side you are soaring like an eagle, seeing from God's perspective what needs to be done and then speaking it out. Hell so let's return to the book of Acts and see what else this first generation of the ecclesia has for us. And as we return to it, we see that the Ecclesia walk in a maturity of revelation of God's purpose over the earth that uh, that we also need to walk in. So we go back to Acts four twenty seven. Let's just let me just go back and recap to the last thing that they said. They were quoting Acts two. And they finished, the kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's the last part that they quoted, yeah? So, as we go on, they go on from quoting that to, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. When I read those words, that's what stopped me in my tracks and made me go back and look at this passage of Scripture because what they're saying here is that, you know, those rulers and kings that are identified in Psalm 2 as gathering against the king and gathering against the anointed one, right? When it talks about that what they're saying is we see that That this has been fulfilled because for truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now we know that their intention was to destroy the anointed one, right? They wanted to kill Jesus. But look what the early church says. They were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Do you understand the depth of this? That even God's greatest enemies actually end up serving his purpose. Can we get a revelation of the sovereignty of God? Very controversial scripture, right? Very controversial concept, the sovereignty of God. Yet God shows the church in this passage of Scripture that even when your enemies come against you, even when they come and persecute you, even if they should crucify you and put you to death, yet ultimately they are serving God's purpose for the redemption of the world. This is why we should be able to say count it all joy when you go through stuff because the people that are persecuting you, God's using that persecution for his eternal purpose. This eternal perspective is what we need in this season because we are coming into a season where persecution is rising, but the anointing is rising to meet the persecution and even to exceed the persecution so that the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord should cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We are carriers of the glory. to do whatever your hand or your purpose determined before to be done. Here is the gathering of all humanity against Jesus, led by the kings and rulers of Psalm 2. The principalities and powers were scoffing there in the heavenlies, looking down, seeing the blood of Jesus on that cross with, with, the, with the, his life force leaking out of him. And they're laughing and saying, we won, we won, we won. And God's going... No, you didn't. (laughs) Because three days later, he conquered sin and death. (laughs) Hallelujah. I knew you guys were going to wake up this morning. (laughs) I knew it was going to take a while, but you're with me, right? (laughs) (laughs) this scripture tells us that even through the pain and suffering the humiliation of Jesus who took the cross instead of the crown that all of it was part of God's plan for our redemption all of those enemies of Jesus their hatred and their determination to see him killed ended up being part of God's purpose he knows the end from the beginning he is the Alpha and Omega (laughs) the scripture says they did whatever God's hand and purpose had already determined would be done and had to be done and it is this revelation of God's eternal purpose not the temporal expectations of man I'll explain that in a minute that gives the ecclesia the strength, the courage, the faith to press on and to move forward no matter what the obstacles are What do I mean by this, eternal and temporal? Eternal means eternal. Without beginning, without end, alpha and omega. Eternity is eternal. God has an eternal purpose. Temporal means this temporary life. The things that we see around us, the things that we experience in this life. But if you look from east to west, east and west never meet. That's eternity. And you look at your place along that timeline, you can't even measure it. It's so tiny. This physical life that we live live for however many years God graces us with, it's like so tiny across the scale of eternity. Yet God has put his hand upon you. He has put his hand upon me with a purpose to serve. Come on. Jesus said Matthew twenty-four, thirty-five: heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away It never has never will and so with this eternal purpose in mind. I'm coming back to the book of of Acts here, the ecclesia gathered there. They've just uh, gone through Psalm 2. They've talked about the rulers and the kings gathering together, how all of what has happened up to this point has all been part of God's eternal purpose. They understand that they have a temporary life here, but they also understand that they are serving an eternal purpose. And that's why they can say this. Verse 29, now Lord, Look on their threats. And they don't say, get us out of this trouble, God. (laughs) They don't say, oh, Lord, would you take the persecution away? They say, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal. Do you understand that when God stretches out His hand to heal, He's stretching out your hand to heal because it's through your hand that Jesus moves. I'm not discounting the sovereign occasions in which God moves in His sovereign power and heals people. But 99% of healings across the face of the earth are because people have an encounter with Jesus through you and I. Amen. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Lord, let that be spoken of us. Let somebody write about our gatherings here in 2021, 50 years down the track, and go, you know, there was this little church, and they were so on fire for God, and they, wanted, they called out to God for boldness, and He came and shook that place. They spilled out of that place, and a whole city was transformed. <laughs> cities, communities, cities, nations. The disciples know what they are asking of the Lord. They understand their small purpose, but they also see the big picture. They're not trying to run from persecution. They are preparing their hearts for more persecution. And here's the thing. All they have to do to avoid the persecution is stay silent. Isn't that what the rulers said to Peter and John? Don't you preach and teach in the name of Jesus. We'll let you go, but don't you preach and teach in this name. You'll be okay. Actually, you know, Peter, I do think we could give you a seat in one of the synagogues here and you could preach in the synagogue if you just give up this Jesus business. (laughs) All sorts of inducements will be offered to you to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. What does this teach us here today in the 21st century when our world is in such turmoil? No matter what prophetic perspective you adhere to about where we stand on the timeline before Christ's return, whether you are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, some-trib, whatever your position might be, does not matter as much as your commitment to what God wants done through you. Because no man knows the day nor the hour, right? And we should all have an interest in where we are on that timeline. But if we would spend more time doing what God wants done to hasten the timeline along, (laughs) we would all be in a better place. The prayer of the remnant must be ours. to be receptive to what God wants to do. Last week, I asked us all, are you awake? Are you awake yet? And today I want to ask you, will you be bold? Because once you are awakened, you will be bold. I want to finish this morning with... uh, Part of the prophetic word that I shared in our Prophetic prophetic Fire Zoom meeting yesterday. And God has been speaking to me consistently since June last year in particular about the state of the church. And much of it has been uh, prophetically directed to the church in the United States. But I've become more and more and more aware that our situation in Australia is just as dire in terms of the Christian faith in our nation. And so rather than, uh, than just thinking about... This prophetic word is being for somewhere overseas. I want you to understand this is for you and it's for me. And this is what I heard the Lord say The influences in the spiritual realm are colliding with huge force at this time. But most in my body have been unaware awakening must come so that the manifold wisdom of God can be made known with authority by the ecclesia against the encroachments of the enemy and when we talk about the manifold wisdom of God being made known in Ephesians that scripture is from it's made known not just In our temporal world, it's made known to principalities and powers so that they know that God is above all. And the encroachments of the enemy are driven back. And then I heard the Lord say, now is the time that my people must take courage, must be bold and courageous. My people are tired and discouraged. They are discovering that there is an acceleration of the enemy's agenda against them. Do you sense that? I woke up this morning and I didn't want to come and preach this because the spirit of discouragement was trying to come against me. But I've learned to recognize these things, and I've learned that when you obey in the face of opposition, God comes and anoints your obedience. They are discovering that there is an acceleration of the enemy's agenda against them. They need courage. True courage is born of faith. Faith does not deny the mountain in front of you. But faith acknowledges that God has a way up the mountain. God has a way over the mountain. God has a way through the mountain. And if necessary, God can give you the the faith, the gift of faith to pick up that mountain and hurl it into the sea. I felt the Lord say, the refiner's fire is doing its work so that my people will be known as a people who do not stand for the lies and deception of the enemy but stand on my truth. As they do, they see the rivers in the wilderness before they appear. They see the rivers in the wilderness before they appear. That's what it means to look through the eyes of faith. Who here today feels like you're in a wilderness situation? Come on, don't be scared to acknowledge if you feel like you're in a wilderness situation. Because, see, what God wants to release is the eyes of faith to see the rivers that are about to appear in that wilderness. And when rivers appear in wilderness, life begins to speak, to spring up, because even in desert, areas there are seeds under the sand under the ground under the rock and when that water reaches down into the soil where those seeds have lain dormant for years and years and years and even generations when the water hits that seed it starts to spring up and you get an oasis everybody around you might be walking in wilderness but you can be an oasis of the presence of the lord prospering you, blessing you, encouraging you, giving you strength, giving you courage, giving you boldness so that you can go forward into the things that God has called you to do. (sighs) So in a few minutes, I'm going to make a decree over us. I'm going to make two decrees. But I want you to understand from two passages of scripture a couple of a couple of conceptual things so that you know where we are in God's timeline. And the first example I would take is from Joshua 24. Now, in Joshua 24, Joshua is speaking to a people who left Egypt. You all know what Egypt represents, right? Your old life, the life before you knew Jesus, right? And they have come into the area of the land that has been promised to them. They are standing in the land of promise. But Joshua sees the danger that they are in. And we in the 21st century church have come a long way from Egypt and we are in a land of promise, as it were. And yet around us, the culture has turned against us. And don't think of it as just humanism because it's not the secularism and humanism is not just an ideology, it is a spirit. Just as the Tao or Buddhism or Islam are governed by spirits. And so we stand in this land of God's promise. And the warning that Joshua made to them stands for us. And then I want to take us to an understanding of how many people actually get hold of this. Joshua 24, 14 to 15. They've been conquering all these places. They're there ready for their next season. Joshua says to them, Joshua twenty-four fourteen to 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in, in, in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Then he goes on to say, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river. The other side of the river is back to Egypt, right? They've crossed the Jordan. If you go back, cross the Jordan, you're going back to Egypt. Choose for yourselves to say whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you can dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, you can serve the gods that ruled your life before you knew Jesus. Have you ever known somebody who's backslidden, who's turned their back on Jesus? Who's gone back to their old life? Have you known people like that? That's what they've done. They've gone back to serve the gods of Egypt, the gods that drove them wherever they wanted them to go. Then you have people that come into the kingdom and get... uh, get seduced by the gods of the culture around them and for too long the church uh, across the west has rested in its prosperity and even built up a false theology around that prosperity that is so opposed to the Bible I can't even begin to explain because we see in the in the example that I've been preaching from in Acts 4 that these people who gathered in the name of Jesus with persecution facing them and call and asked for boldness understood that they weren't going to be materially prospered by their, by their decision to serve Jesus. They knew they were going to be persecuted and that's what Happened. They were persecuted, but their eternal glory far, far outweighed anything that they could receive in the natural during their lifetime. And unless the church in the West, West awakens to this reality that we, have, we serve a higher purpose than just what car I'm going to drive, what house I'm going to live in, all those things, all these temporal things, we must have an eternal view of what God is doing in our lifetime. And so you can go back and serve the gods of Egypt, the gods that you served before you gave your life to Jesus. You can be seduced by the false gods around you, or you can make the decision, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It takes a remnant. It takes a remnant. Right through the Word of God, we see the remnant. And so, I want to take you to Zechariah 8.12. And Zechariah prophesies at a time when the judgment of God um, is about to, to, to fall. He prophesies at a time when the judgment of God is coming. Generation upon generation upon generation after Joshua. After Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The whole of Judah, the whole of Israel have turned their backs on God. They're all going their own way. They're serving the gods of the land around them. They've made their choice. They're, uh, they're about to come under the, a great and severe judgment of God. But this is what Zechariah says to the remnant. The remnant are those who refuse to compromise. The remnant are those who choose by faith to be courageous, to be bold, to stay true to what the word of God says. Zechariah 8.12 For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. You know, the prophet Jeremiah, when they ended up in Babylon... Jeremiah prophesied to him and said, Pray for the city that you're in, because in its peace is your peace. There is a concept in the Bible that you see running all the way through that God preserves and even prospers the remnant. The remnant that stays faithful to him. And it's the remnant that births revival. It's the remnant that, uh, that, that births repentance that pours out across the land it's the remnant that God uses to bring reformation these are the things that God wants to birth across the face of the earth repentance revival reformation and he's looking for a people through whom to do it and he's chosen you and I you're not here by accident you're here because God said, oh yeah, I'm going to form that man, that woman, in that mother's womb. I know exactly what they're going to be like. <laughs> I know all the baggage they're going to cut around with them until they choose to let it go because the blood of Jesus has paid the price for all that to be dealt with. They're going to consider themselves to not be ready for anything. They're not holy enough, they're not righteous enough, they're not this, they're not that. But I chose them, I put them there, I planted them. They're going to be trees of righteousness, they're going to do what I've called them to do. They're going to rise up in this hour and they're going to bring something to the body of Christ that's missing. And out of that can flow revival. Can I get the worship team up, please? And Zion, we're going to do the refiner, if that's okay. Let me return for a moment to the question that I asked you last week. Are you awake yet? Are you awake yet? Are you awake yet? Did the word of God minister truth to you this morning? Did the word of God challenge you? Here's another one. Out of your awakening, are you bold yet? (laughs) Are you bold yet? Do you want to be bold? Yes, Yes, bolder. 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 Some of us are bold beyond description. Kerry and Anne-Marie come to mind. Approach anybody anytime. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In closing today, I'm gonna to paraphrase Acts four, twenty-nine, thirty, and thirty-one, that prayer for boldness. I'm gonna speak it out as if we're asking God for it. And then prophetically I'm gonna decree over us. Now Lord, can we all stand this morning? Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to us, your servants, that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that I can pray this. I can pray this for us. I can pray this over us, Lord, that we are inviting you to do what only you can do. I would pray, Father God, that this place where we are assembled together would be shaken now by the power of your Holy Spirit and that every hard place in our hearts would now crumble in the name of Jesus. I would pray, Father God, and declare and decree that we would all be filled to overflow with your Holy Spirit. And out of the overflow of your Holy Spirit in us, we would speak the word of God with boldness wherever and whenever you give us opportunity. Lord, I would decree this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, awakening over this remnant, awakening over this remnant. I would make this decree over those watching us on live stream whose hearts are attuned to what you have heard this morning. I decree awakening over you this morning. I thank you Father God that with that awakening comes boldness. I decree boldness over every extended family represented in this physical building and every extended family on our live stream, I would declare and decree that awakening comes now to the ecclesia of the Lord. I declare that we are a remnant who God is raising up in this season for His glory. I ask, Father God, that You would use us, Lord, to bring repentance, to bring revival, and to bring reformation wherever you would send us, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for what you are doing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Can I invite you, church, just begin raising your voices and speaking in tongues? Pray in tongues. Sharabata pata invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister, mm-hmm. minister. Do they have a bata, shut up a tapata, shut up a papa, shut Shut up, shut up, shut up. For those of you who have thought in your hearts God could never use me because of what happened to me when I was a child, I want you to come out the front because God wants to break that off you. Come on, church, let's respond. For those of you who have said in their hearts, God would never use me because of what I have done just respond to the Holy Spirit so that God can come and set you free. Let's continue praying. Set us on fire, Lord, set us on fire. Would you bring, would you uh, begin leading us in that song please? Zion Shut